Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Grant McCarran. In this episode of the Food and Drink Business Podcast, we're joined by Bill Heeg, the Managing Director of Mars Food Australia, and he's going to reflect on his first year in the job and the company's 75th anniversary here in Australia. But first up, I'm joined by Kim Berry, editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of the Food and Drink Business podcast. G'day, Kim. How are you doing? Hi, Grant. I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Not too bad. And uh, sitting here waiting for us to introduce him officially, Bill <laughs> Heeg from Mars Food Australia. Uh, you're the managing director and you're joining us for a good chat today. How are you going, Bill? Very well. Thanks, Grant. Nice to, uh, to talk to you again, Kim. Yes, very nice to uh, be back on the line. Uh, so we should probably start off by saying happy one-year anniversary since this is the marking uh, month, isn't it? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I uh, got the news by September last year that um, I was very lucky to be coming back to the business I joined Mars 12 years ago. Wow. And so was it uh, a part of your plan that you would stay with the company for a long time or did you just sort of come in and hope for the best? Uh, I'd like to think it was some grand plan uh, that was always <laughs> going to come off, but um, uh, it, it was a bit of luck in there as well as I think all good careers um, have. Um, I, I'd worked for a, a couple of different companies before leading to this and I really loved the blend of multinational but family-owned business that Mars represented. And uh, I got pretty interested in the path of general management pretty early on too. The, the more and more I, I progressed through organisations, the more interested I got in parts of um, that intersected with the function that I came from, which was sales. So in that 12 years, have you always been in Australia or did you head overseas for a part of that? Uh, so I've only come back uh, a year ago. So I started in the Food Australia business. I left at the end of 2015 to go to our business in the Czech Republic, which was uh, an awesome wow. uh, personal experience as well, career um, experience to look after our, our full suite of brands uh, there for the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Uh, and then a couple of years later, I got the chance to go to Dublin, Ireland, and I, I led the business there for a while as well. And then I said, fortuitously, the, the job here in Australia came back up. Uh, I put my hand up and was really lucky and really proud to be able to come back and, and lead the business uh, I joined. They're not terrible places to be sent to. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. No, um, it really, really opened our eyes. Yeah. Tell me about the, uh, we'll touch, I really want to touch on this notion about working for a global company, but that is still a family company. So let's have a let's sort of look at that. But I also then want to have a bit of an explore about what happens then when you are when you sort of factor in the culture of a of you know different countries or even different communities on top of a global culture of an organisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the unique characteristics of that sort of environment or that sort of company? Yeah, being a, a, a family business, we like to, to use the expression of we think in generations, not in quarters. And so, so that means that, you know, we, we can take a long view to problems that need to be solved rather than, you know, what's going to keep your shareholders necessarily happy, you know, just for the next 90 days. So, um, we think about our sustainable in a generation plan, which was you know a billion dollar commitment to to solving some of the world's largest problems based on solutions found through science um, in the areas of you know, well-being um, for for nourishing well-being in terms of the food that we eat, um, whether it's a healthy planet and using science to see how we reduce the impact um, on the planet, um, and, and then also you know looking after 
uh, the thriving people in our supply chains and making sure that we're helping farmers, for instance, um, being able to get better crop yields and have better um, quality of living for themselves and their families as well. So being family owned means you can take that longer term approach, knowing that quite often, if you take that approach, it's going to pay back eventually either. It's just difficult to do that when you're in a, a listed company. So that's what I like about the difference. Yeah. So tell me about um, tell me about working for the company somewhere like the Czech Republic, like say compared to here. Are there some really interesting cultural differences there or is it surprisingly similar? Yeah, so, so there's the, some things about our business which you'll find everywhere, which is our, our five principles um, are, are on the wall and, and being a family business, that's how we inculcate our values. Um, so quality, responsibility, mutuality, efficiency and, and freedom. Um, so everywhere you go in the world for Mars, you'll find those and, and what they mean um, to us, so that's consistent. Um, you'll see differences in terms of product portfolio. So in some parts of the world, our pet care business might be you know, a lot more developed um, versus in the Czech Republic, for instance, gum. You know, they're, they're a big nation of gum chewers, you know, one of the highest um, per capita in, in, in Europe, actually. So it's a really big gum business. Um, um, chocolate, you know, in, in other parts of the world, and of course, our food portfolio. One of the nice things about the business here in Australia, um, and I think it's because the family came out here in the 70s to start some of the businesses, um, is that we're really well developed in, in all of those categories, um, be they the confectionery, chocolate and gum, the, the pet care, and then um, also our food portfolio. And that's also, I mean, that's a really good point to sort of, we should sort of do one step back and actually say, what what are the product ranges that come under, say, the Mars food component? Um, what are we What are we talking about there? Yeah, so uh, in food, the, the biggest part that most Australians will know is master foods. So in, in nine out of 10 uh, households, uh, we've been around for 75 years as of July um, this year, uh, which is a, a massive milestone for us. The products look a bit different to um, how they uh, potentially originally were. We've got some that have stuck the test of time, like uh, our mustards range, our herbs and spices, um, but that, that's the biggest part of our for- portfolio, mast foods. Uh, and then a lot of people know Dolmio, you know, one of the most popular pasta sauces um, out there as well. Cantong, which really helped popularise some Asian cuisine um, over the last decades. Uh, and then Uncle Ben's rice um, you know, is, is also becoming more and more popular as a convenient rice option there as well. So when you came back to Australia, were there particular goals that you had for yourself and for the role? I, it's been a pretty interesting year. Yes. Uh, <laughs> any way to put it. Yeah. I, I landed just as the bushfires were really starting to to rage. Um, then we had some flooding at the end of January and then we, we heard about this virus and maybe it's going to affect us and maybe we should prepare to work from home. And then within a matter of days, we, we went from talking about it might happening to, to having to, to do it. So it's been a, an amazing set of circumstances. A good reminder coming home um, what it means to be Australian, you know, the, our relationship with nature, um, how fractured that sometimes is come the, the heat of summer, um, but then how we dig in and help one another too and the response from the communities, not just here but around the world, but you know, very much you know, here and how we helped our fellow Australians to, to get through you know, what was a really tough time. Um, and, and then this hit and you know, it was yeah. a complete about face of what work is. Yeah, it's been really interesting. And what was that sort of time frame for the company in terms of 
I, I know that we'd seen it coming, sort of we'd been hearing about it a bit coming out of China just from the very end of last year and then really ramping up through January and February. And so when it sort of became a reality here, what was the sort of, what was the time frame for you guys in terms of, oh, okay, we're going to, oh, okay, we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to bring in some contingency plans. What was the timing around that? Yeah, so um, being part of a global business was helpful in this respect because you could take the lessons that you'd learned from other parts of the world that were affected earlier and you know, it hit us relatively late and that, therefore we had a lot of the playbooks ready to roll. Um, right. But it, it probably started rolling out kind of mid-February when regulations about travel um, internationally and then also um, getting to groups of larger than 50 people, you know, I think was one of the first uh, measures that we had in place to then start talking about your... Um, rate of impact in the country, so cases per uh, 100,000 people, and we had traffic lighted, you know, what it meant to be red, amber, or, or green in, in those instances and start preparing for what work from home might look like, to then you're in it and you've, you're temperature testing um, before you get to site, you've got your questionnaires, your social distancing, you're, you're spacing out your canteen, you're staggering your shift starts, you're doing all these different measures because you want to keep the factory open. You want to keep feeding the nation. Um, I don't know what it was like for you guys, but you get to a store in, in March and there was holes everywhere on the shelf. And, mm. you know, mm. when you found the thing you were looking for, it was just a little <laughs> bit of peace and calm, you know, in, in, in what was otherwise very difficult times. And, and you know, if we could play that role for, for all everyday Australians, then, um, you know, we felt that that was our contribution. So we wanted to make our site safer, the safest place for our associates to be. And did you have, what was it like then internally for you guys and your staff? Was there pushback in terms of some of the um, strategies or the, the situations you were bringing in or was everyone pretty much on board going, oh, okay, you know, this is how it has to be? I think my memory says it was smooth, but um, in, in reality at the time, lots of people asking questions, you know, and this is not something we've done before. And one of the phrases that, you know, really helped me um, early on is that history will judge us, I think, far kinder. Um, to overreact um, in the early days rather than underreact. And so I think having that open dialogue with um, our people, um, you know, we, we, we said on the Friday, this might happen on Monday because um, things were so changing that fast. And then we got in on Monday and said, yes, we're going to do it. And because we'd already prepped everybody, you know, they started thinking about things like, can I take my monitor home? Can I take my chair home um, if I need it? Can I have the tools that I need to be able to work from home? And within a week, it felt like, yes, this was the very much right thing to do. But a couple of days before, it did feel like perhaps we're overreacting. But I think we've all gone through that curve ourselves. Um, now it's it's more the challenge the other way of understanding that there are, are those that um, are more concerned and need to take care of their health and do want to keep working from home. There are those that live by themselves and and you know might actually want to be around people um, every now and again. And you know, how can you cater for both? Not either absolute is 100% correct, um, how you're being tolerant, how, understanding um, to, to give those circumstances to each who need them in their own way. Mm. And there's no real playbook for that, is there? I mean, <laughs> this is a pretty unique experience for everyone. Yeah, and, and where we were helped by, with playbooks, um, you know, in different parts of, of our operations, it certainly helped, but just going through what it means, you know, for every day that you do your job, um, there's still a change curve everyone has to individually go through, even though if the, if the playbook is there. So, yeah. yeah, it was tough. I mean, we haven't seen the panic buying or the, or the hoarding that we saw really playing out in March, April, uh, but can you talk to us about 
the challenge that it is for a company like Mars Food in terms of when you when you have that sudden uptick and then you know internally you have to suddenly space out everyone within your factory and and bring in different shifts and and change your normal production schedule and then the supply chain line in terms of getting those products to market what was that like for the company um in retrospect thrilling um at the time uh, <laughs> manic uh, what a ride uh, yeah it's yeah, yeah. Quite wonderful <laughs> Yeah, um, and you're right. It's not just the the operations um, that you kind of feel like you can control. It's it's on your own site, and you can iterate and, and learn as you go. Take the lessons from overseas and and, and implement. Um, but the supply chain, you you can keep the factory open, but if you've got no raw materials to 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 make your products from, then you know it's it's useless. So um, this is where our relationships with our suppliers, you know, we're we're really tested, and I mean that in a positive way, in that you know we built you know some really strong supplier relationships um, that you know through this meant that we could keep operating, we could keep manufacturing product, we could keep the shelves full. Um, you know, one of the the best examples was our herbs and spice jars have a, a plastic cap. Plastic is more often than not a byproduct of petroleum, uh, and in particular for our herbs and spice caps, it's avgas. Um, so if planes aren't flying, fuel's not being made, that byproduct isn't there. There's no resin for our caps, and so working with our supplier, we found a new source. We were able to test that at their facility, then test it at ours, and then not miss a beat in terms of being able to supply herbs and spices to to Australia. So. Yeah, the agility of supply chains, I think, have been sorely tested through this period. And those that did well, did well because they've invested in their relationships with their suppliers before the panic hits. Uh, okay, that's just, I'm, I'm still stuck on your lids and uh, <laughs> relating, to, <laughs> relating to flights. That's... Yeah. Um, Wow, that now that you know, if you're if you're in crisis management, I'm I'm not quite sure that would actually have ever made the cut <laughs> in terms of like things we need to be thinking about. That's remarkable. Uh, let's talk a bit about that supply chain situation because it was something that came up time and time again, particularly in those early months. Uh, do the majority of your products are you sourcing them? Um, domestically or are you using a lot that's coming um, that that you're having to import for products and do you think whatever the answer is to that uh, that that played a part in in how well you guys sort of coped with with the situation yeah yeah uh, 100% so um well over 95% of the products that we sell here are made in Australia. Um, but that is in a combination of um, raw materials that come from different parts of the world. And you know, again, herbs and spices is a good illustration here where many of those spices just aren't grown um, in, in this part of the world. So, you know, we connected very much to, to India there. So um, what's happening in that part of the world affects your ability to get the raw materials to then be able to make the products that you need to make. So, um yeah, where we can and where it's important to consumers, we, we source locally, um, but we, we often have hedges, you know, to be able to to pull on, you know, should there be you know, different circumstances in, in difficult circumstances in different parts of the world to, to try and keep as continuous supply as possible. So I think it's it's not just a matter of always Australian, but we do that where we can, but being able to have those alternatives because you just don't know what's around the corner. Uh, can we just come back to the lids? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can see. I can see it in your mind there that you're not going to let this right, one go. And I'm not going to let it go. So then, what was the process for you for the company in terms of then finding another source and and working out that those lids would work? Like, what what are we talking about? A week? Are we talking about a month? Like, what 
what was that sort of process? Uh, it would it would have happened over about the course of a month, but it would be getting you know, the raw material for their product in, testing that they can make them, what's the integrity of the, the lid once they do that. Okay, they've got it to a certain point. How will that operate within our facility then? Will it still operate, behave the, 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 the way that the previous one did so we can trust it and that um, you know, the product's still going to perform the way we need it to for, for our um, consumers out in their homes? So, um, yeah, a lot of testing. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's a major part of supply line work and, and refactoring what you're doing because what's the durability? How long is it going to last? Will it have mm. the same tens, um, tensile strength? Will the machines be able to grip it properly to tighten the caps? Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's something that's come to the fore is this whole, not just looking at one part of a critical item, but looking at the whole thing. You've got, as you were saying, this caps thing came out of left field because um, some other companies may have been going, well, we've got our product, our product's good, and our glass, yep, we've got our glass, we've got a... And, and then out of left field comes this cap thing. People raging, people raging in supermarkets. <laughs> Where's my dill? I need dill. <laughs> I'm sorry, we can't, we don't have the caps. There's no planes. There's no flights. And it's the whole import, the, the major importance of looking at every aspect of what you do, not just like everyone would focus on contents, not necessarily the, the packaging and the containerism and, and things like that, how, you, how you're actually putting it together. I'm going to use the um, I'm going to use the concept of flights and not enough of them to segue into one of my favourite stories coming out of uh, the company this year, and that is its 75 year anniversary, which is I think in any you know fast moving consumer goods company quite remarkable, is uh, the the peak moment of serving kangaroo tail soup on Qantas flights. What a special moment in the company's history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly a unique one. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I, I even learnt through this experience that uh, it was a play on the uh, oxtail soup that you know, we know from yeah. Um, yeah. Great Britain. Um, but never do I know that you know you're the uh, animal from your coat of arms is <laughs> served up to you at you know twenty thousand feet uh, a, with all sorts of pomp and ceremony. Yeah, yeah. It's a special Australian <laughs> character, you know. Just for yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great, isn't it? Like nothing sacred. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> we we often we often eat kangaroo meat in our house. Um, it's it's a lean meat, and it's done. And yeah, my wife my wife marinades it, and and it's amazing. So yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is coming back to like this seventy five year anniversary. It's that's that's quite a landmark, and. Where is the company at now in terms of looking at it comes from this, it's got this rich heritage, but how does it keep pushing itself? How does it keep looking into the new trends and the new markets and trying to keep ahead of that curve? Yeah, it starts with, um, I talked about our five principles before and the quality principle tells us that the consumer is our boss. Um, and, and so we're only in business as long as we're listening to them, and so you don't stay um, fresh for seventy-five years. If you, if the product range looked like it did seventy-five years ago, there's some, you know, what would be arguably questionable products um, at the moment that were completely relevant at the time, but not so much today. And so we've got to think like that too. That um, for the next seventy-five years, there'll be products in our portfolio that aren't going to stand that long test of time. Some will, you know, herbs and spices have been with us um, for, for all that time. Our mustards have been around for for a lot of that time as well. Um, so it's about continually listening to the consumer, putting them first, understanding where they're going and, and working out what's the relevant role that we can play in their life moving forward. And for us, it's about dinner and dinner time matters. 
Um, we know that families that get around a table and prepare food together and eat um, food together are happier and healthier. Um, and if we can play that role of inspiring, of, of getting the flavours together that people want to share and enjoy together, then that's a contribution we can make as well. And tell me, I mean, in light of something like COVID, there was a real trend of consumers going back to foods that they that they knew and brands that they knew and that they trusted because with that comes that sort of feeling in control and that, and that these products are sort of safe and make you feel at home and and did you is that something you saw within the company that that some of the some of the more traditional offerings or some of your really mainstay products just had a, had another uptick that perhaps I hadn't seen for a while or what was the experience? Yeah, very, very much. Um, I think we all saw from the notes from from our retailers um, that one of the last categories to, to come off restrictions was was pasta and, and pasta sauce. So dolmio and, and people going back to the good old spaghetti bolognese, you know, crowd-pleasing meal that it is, um, really surged. So we saw that at one end of the spectrum where people were looking for that you know, real easy crowd-pleasing meal. Um, at the other end, we've never seen more interest in herbs and spices and people wanting with a bit more time at home to get a bit more craftier in the kitchen and experiment with flavour or go rogue with flavour, as we like to say. Yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, well, um, at the heart of, of herbs and spices is you know, bringing the flavours of the world in one spot in your kitchen and, and giving you the confidence to want to experiment with those flavours and create, you know, more than just your average dinner. And, um, you know, quite often we can be a bit uh, timid, lacking confidence in, in our skills in the kitchen and actually just go rogue, you know, go go a bit crazy, experiment, you know, don't worry about it. It's not going to turn out that bad. Yeah. Um, and giving people, you know, the permission, if you will, or the confidence more so to, to, to want to do that is really the thought behind that. Right. And what was some what was some other campaigns or some other projects that the company did on a consumer level over the last couple of months through this really very strange time? Yeah, yeah. There, were, there was a couple in and, and, and the, the new format of digital being able to connect to consumers more directly, um, either by online platforms or, or social, you know, has really been um, interesting. So one of the most uh, memorable ones was one called the Dinner Hack Hotline. So we had a real-life chef um, helping us out for a, a week. People would text um, via or via Facebook, what ingredients they had in the kitchen, and our chef would say you could combine them this way to knock out this fabulous meal. We'd have about forty calls a night. Um, oh, each one wow. would get a response back. We did it for one week. It was so popular, we brought it back another, and then actually a few weeks later, we got a call to to do it again. So um, again, just helping find solutions when you know times are tough. You can't always find everything you want at the store. Uh, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? Um, and injecting a little bit of flavour and a bit of fun. So the dinner hack hotline. I love that. I love that. And it was yeah. so it was such a serious well, it still is a really serious and stressful time. And so to do something like that that's just got that bit of that's got a bit of fun to it is um mm. yeah, it's, it's really refreshing. And I imagine there would have been some fantastic challenges thrown at them as well at the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got X, Y, and Z, and it's just like, where, I have, how, a, I have a tin of legumes. It was used by 2010. That'll be all right, won't it? <laughs> um, okay, so uh, one thing I really did want to touch on is the work that the company's doing in um, a sustainability space. I know that last, earlier in the year, I actually had a fantastic chat with your sustainability team and 
it, the work that you guys are doing in terms of looking at every single piece of packaging uh, that goes through your your factories is it's quite something. So where's that at at the moment? What's sort of top of mind and and what's um what's the progress like on that front? So we're doing a, a lot in this space. I referenced our sustainable intergeneration plan and uh, that has these tranches of, of what we want to do both with the planet, um, with the people in our supply chain that we work with, but also the products we make. But in particular on, on planet, you know, we're going to great lengths to reduce um, our carbon footprint, um, making sure we use less land for the crops that we grow and helping our farmers you know, understand what's the latest that science tells us to be able to be more efficient in that respect, reducing the water um, that we're using as well. And we report this um, globally. So actually, if you go to mars.com now, you'll see a link to our sustainable generation um, report card, which, which talks about the progress that we're making in each and every one of these areas. And one of the, the latest... Um, uh, areas of interest in that is plastics and even you know two years ago it wasn't so much on everyone's radar as it is very much today so um, I was um, in Canberra uh, in March just uh, at the plastic summit just before everything went um, <laughs> up uh, in in COVID. Uh, it was like the and, week before yeah, we, wasn't it or like three days yeah. like before our office went and we we're all working from home. Yeah yeah, and uh, you know we're part of the Ellen MacArthur uh, Fund uh, Sustainable and the APCO um, uh, packaging pledge here in Australia as well to get to you know 30% of our packaging being compostable and reusable sorry 100% of our packaging being uh, reusable compostable or, or recyclable uh, by 2025 um, so we're trying to take huge strides in this space to as you, you mentioned before um, challenge every little bit of packaging um, and some of it's going to require new technological solutions that we just don't have today but we've made the commitment to to do that so things like um in the caps on the top of a dolmiol jar, the thing that gives it the seal is a, is a layer of PVC at the moment. We'll be one of the first companies in Australia to eradicate the PVC from that and make that more recyclable um, as a result of the work that we'll introduce uh, in April next year. So we are doing that work to, to question every bit of packaging. Mm. And I think one of the things that uh, the broader communities not quite aware of is the ability to use recycled or recyclable packaging in food products is really challenging and the technology has not been there and there's globally now there is a lot of effort in terms of developing those products so that food the, the integrity of the food can you know can be held in those types of products what is you know your sort of view of that and your take on that is it is it getting closer? Yeah, you, you, you've touched on a really important point there, which is never, can I remember, uh, have we lived through a time where the integrity, the safety of the food that we buy has been more important? Like It, it, would, it was always there questionably, but um, you know, you, we would say now that we're even more you know, heightened in terms of sensitivity to that now. So packaging plays a really important role. Um, but how we generate a, a, an infrastructure here in Australia that can handle the you know the problems that, um, that have been created um, through through packaging is a, a job for industry and a job for the, the wider community as well so um, a scheme like red cycle which you might know collects um, soft pack packaging um, plastic packaging um, at the front of your local retailer they usually collect it there as well you'll see the logo on the back of um, a lot of packs um, so we're getting there with um, systems solutions to it. 
Um, but there's still work to do. But the, what won't change is the commitment to 2025 and making sure that we've achieved that goal. Yeah, yeah. Let's just have a quick chat about looking at, I know you touched on it earlier, when you're looking at like well-being and, and global health and nutrition. Let's just have a touch on that in terms of, there's a campaign, isn't there, within Mars to reduce the amounts of sodium and salt um, in some, of, in some, if not all of their products. What does that look like? Like how many, you know, what level of, there must be an inordinate amount of research and researchers trying to do that where you can still make these products and they still taste the same, but they have less salt or they have less sugar and they're still going to have a shelf life. How does a company like Mars do that? Yeah, so a headline there, again, under the, the part of sustainable new generation has been a billion more healthy meals. And so we've done a lot of work to, to make sure that our products still taste good because regardless of how healthy they are, if they don't taste good, people aren't going to eat them. Mm. And, and so one of the directions we've taken is um, what are products that you can use every day and what are products that you know, you're best to have once a week um, as part of that, that balanced diet. And an example there would be um, spaghetti bolognese. So it's, it's healthy enough to have um, you know, every day of the week, um, whereas a carbonara, which you know, by way of the type of meal that it is and the flavour it delivers, is one that we advise um, people to, to have in your diets, but you know, once a week. Um, and so we're at over 800 million of those billion um, healthy meals and on track to be there by 2021, uh, which is um, our stated ambition. And so it means that more of the products you introduce have to play towards those health conscious goals that some more of our consumers have. So things like um, in our herbs and spice uh, products at the moment, we're releasing one uh, that's going to help people uh, enjoy vegetables more. We know that people are having you know, more plant-based foods in their diet um, now, um, but they're looking for flavor options to be able to make that enjoyable as well. So, you know, Hence, we're, we're directing some, some um, of our um, MPD efforts towards uh, that area as well. Hey, um, so it's been quite a challenging, interesting, invigorating <laughs> year. What puts the kick in your step? A um, couple of things. So the, the first would be that this has been a time for, for leaders um, because I truly believe everyone turns up every day trying to do their best. And sometimes we don't know what that looks like, especially you know, in times like this where we say, you know, this is unprecedented or there's no playbook for this, you know, the phrases that we've heard before. Um, and so you, you have to try and do your best and be you know, open and, and, and listen to the people around you. Um, and so when you give people that opportunity and you give them the guidance that they're after and you allow honest conversations to happen, the way people step up, and what you're able to accomplish in these times, you would never have said it would have been possible potentially beforehand. So um, just watching people respond, um, whether it's for their fellow workmates or you know, for people in the community, that's what inspires me. That's um, you know, what gets me out of bed. Um, and, and then you know, reflecting on Mass Food 75 years and knowing that there's a chapter here that um, – me and the people that I work alongside, you know, have a responsibility to right now and make sure that there's someone else in 75 years laughing at a product that we potentially <laughs> introduced yes. in, what's your, in these couple what's of your years because it was right for the time. Bill? Yeah. What is it? What is it going to be? What's the, what's the, I don't know yet. I what's don't know. the meal that's going to be, oh, my God. 
<laughs> yeah, our great <laughs> grandkids going, yeah, exactly. What were they thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> but, yeah, but you know, you got to you got to make some of the mistakes. That's what that they're going to say. They're with. just going to go. Can you believe they ate that noxious weed? Why were they eating that noxious weed? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we prefer Cavalo Nero, thank you. That's oh. uh, cabbage. Uh, a better version of kale, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Uh, look, thank you so much. It's um, been really, it, it's been really great to get some insights into a company that has products that are pretty much a mainstay in in every uh, every pantry, every cupboard, in every kitchen in Australia. So, Bill, thank you very much for your time. Uh, pleasure. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Grant. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.